national anthem's been written. A the Capitol's being moved to some place outside Dallas. Uh, they're starting to build it, right? And we have three new official languages: English, Spanish, and Canadian. French, right, because of the Quebecois, right, Quebecois, and um, would you embrace that? Yeah, see, no. What if you did? Let's say you said, you know what, that's a good idea. Let's do this, right? I'm on board. How would you be treated by your family? Some of them. Right? There'd be some people who would be like, where I am, no way. And if you do that, you're a traitor. Right? Well, I want you to think, get that, ponder that a little bit as we go along. So, um... When I, when I was growing up as a kid, I always felt a little bit out of place. Um, I grew up in a farming community um, in southern Indiana, very rural. And uh, I always kind of kidded Sandy about being Hitlerly, being from Kennebra, but to me, she was a city girl. And... Um, one time we were driving down there, and I was pointing out, you know, my dad's cousin here and my other cousin there, and that's my whatever, and my grandpa's house up there in the corner over the creek. And, you know, here's a covered bridge, and she looked at me and said, all this time, you've been calling me a hillbilly. <laughs> You're a hillbilly. Yeah, I am. So... What the young guys do who grows up in a farming community with creeks and woods and all that with their spare time, right? Hunting and fishing and, you know, working on tractors and whatever, right? My cousin Daryl could pick up a, tra a tractor by himself and change the tires, right? Well, what I did, of course, was read books. That's kind of unusual, right? <laughs> I carried around paperback everywhere I went. I was nerd, geek. I was very, very out of place. By the time I was 16, I'd read the encyclopedia every single one of the months. But um, so having said that, there's actually a sign. If you kind of feel out of place sometimes with some people, there's actually a scientific basis for that. It's called personality theory. Is anybody familiar with these bricks? Ever do insight training? Good. So the yellows are your sunshine yellows, right? They're salesmen. Got them, right? They are crisp, big time. Um, the blues are your engineers and architects, detail guys, right? Uh, Nate's a strong blue, right? Paul's a strong blue, I should say. Greens are your show me your care. They don't care what the decision is as long as everybody agrees. I, I 
lawyer HR guy. Okay. This is Roger. Scotty again. He's a he's a little bit more. Nobody's everyone, right? You you always have some little bit of the Reds are your decision makers. Lawyer management people. Um says be brief, be right and be gone. Right? Do it. This is Kevin. So you put these bricks in order of your preference. And like I just did, I ain't got no red at all. I have difficulty bringing this out. And when I do, I take people's heads off. But so when I took the training, the lady doing the training came over and said, I got a special article I want you to read. Because you're not any of this you're what we call gray. Now, some people can have two colors that are dominant, right? And that's kind of rare. I have three. These three colors are dominant. I'm like that. That is really weird. Very few people think and make decisions the way a gray does. And so, if you've ever felt kind of out of place in a group of people, Right? I don't know what your excuse is. Mine's scientific. <laughs> right? I'm a gray. Okay. I say all that to say this. Right? This is kind of our identity. We have an identity inside of ourselves. We have a way we think and process problems, answer questions, ask questions, whatever. Right? As a Christian, <coughs> though, the Bible teaches us that if we feel out of place, that's a good thing. We shouldn't feel out of place. Because we have, should have a totally different identity from the people around us. So, we're in First Peter. We're dealing with a bunch of people who are Jews who have become Christians. You know, the apostles had come to them and they told them, Hey, there's this prophet, his name was Jesus. He was powerful in word and deed. He was killed by the Romans and he came back to life. And he's now our Messiah. And a bunch of them signed up for that. Now, another thing they taught him was, see, what you have to understand, for Jews, there were certain things that they thought made them special. And here's the list. Okay, as you can see up there, we have uh, the Torah, which is your first five books in the Bible, the temple, Sabbath and holy days, circumcision, food, and family roots. And these were huge for them. And so this was their identity. It's the way they define themselves as a, a people. Now, non-Jews also had a thing, a certain identity, a way of looking at the world, a way of looking at themselves. And Chris is going to read that list. For and us. in the Greco-Roman identity, civic duty society, they worshipped the emperor. They had many other gods, local deities. An honor-shame society, wealth and power was huge. Wisdom, the Greeks. 
justice for Romans, and of course, sex. So now it's a good thing that in our modern society we don't, you know, identify ourselves in any of these ways. Of course we do, right? The only thing not up there really for us is races and skin color because for them, they it just wasn't a thing back then, right? Because, you know, there was such a melting pot. Now, as Americans, and I tapped right into it in my opening statement, right? We also have those things, flag, liberty, equality, family values, justice, etc. right? So I want you to imagine if those things are undermined or taken away or we have to replace those with something, that's going to be a little unsettling, to say the least. And so that's what happened. The apostles came and said, all right, now you believe in Jesus, and all of those things that were your identities, circumcision, Sabbath, food laws, and for that matter, the, the Gentiles that became Christians, emperor, wars, and pigs, etc., etc., those things are replaced or fulfilled or reached their ultimate expression in a guy named Jesus. And so rather than get your identity from your civic duty or family or whatever it is, the things you value, now you get your identity from a person. And he, he's Jesus. The Messiah. That's now your new identity. So you can understand a little better when Paul uses the image of dying to the old man, putting to death the old identity, and having a new redefined identity. My breath, that's part of my, one of my side effects of some. Now, question. What would you write to a group of people who had had the very foundations of their lives removed or replaced? And they're now under attack by members of the community or their family for having proclaimed that new identity because that's exactly what's going on. They're being persecuted. And persecuted in ways that frankly, we cannot understand, right? We aren't arrested for being Christians. We don't see family members torn apart by the lions for being Christians, for proclaiming Jesus. We don't, we, we, I mean, it's mind-boggling how bad it was for them. But you can kind of get just a little bit of a picture of it if you think about the United Federation of North America, right? And that happened. And then they said, it's illegal to fly an American flag. Right? That's kind of the same thing. And how difficult that would be. I mean, I'm wearing the red and white and blue today. I, put, I got a flag on my house. Illegal. They come in and arrest you. 
and torture you for it. That's what it was like. So, you might decide to give them, tell them what their identity is. So that's what Peter does. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word, as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. So this is our text. Now, right in the middle is is verse 9. And verse 9 is almost word from word taken from Exodus 19. Now, the story of the Exodus you may or may not be familiar with. If you know the movie The Ten Commandments, that's what that was all about, right? So go and read that. I mean, I'll wait. (laughs) But go and read that, right? This was told to the people of Israel after the Red Sea, but before the establishment of the covenant at Mount Sinai. So, two things to think about. One, they didn't do anything yet. In fact, they haven't agreed to anything yet. The covenant has been established. The Ten Commandments haven't been given. All they know is that God took them through the Red Sea, across the desert, up to this mountain. And most of the time, they're kicking and screaming, coming. All right? Two, they got a job. You can see that. They got a job to do, right? They're supposed to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a blah, blah, blah. He chosen them from the nations to do something. And if you keep on reading, reading, they screw it up all the time. They do it very badly. So, back to the text. Just one quick thing. It says, they stumbled because they disobeyed the word. Who's the they? Good question. The they is their Jewish family and friends, etc., who are now persecuting them. They who haven't accepted Jesus. They stumble. Chris talked last week about the rocks they stumble over. But you, who's the you? Well, these Jews have then become Christians, right? And by kind of extension, the Gentiles, etc., that have joined them, right? And are now part of the church. They stumble, but you are, verse 9, again, Chris. A chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people of his own. Now, it's interesting that Peter chooses to focus on the moment 
right of or right before the founding of the nation of Israel. It's almost like he's saying, listen, in Jesus, God hit the reset button. It's been going bad for a long time. But now in Jesus, we reset. We go back to the very beginning. When you first were made a nation, you Jews have become Christians. And we're starting over. So, what do these terms mean? It's not hard to figure out. A chosen race. Now, we had a little problem with that in the 1940s because somebody decided the chosen race were people with white skin. Not at all what he's talking about. Chosen means picked. The picked people. The chosen people. Race is just where we get. You know, that's the word genetic. Get also when we get genetics, etc. What a priesthood. We're going to focus on that and come back to it. But first, royal. Royal is somebody who's the king, a ruler. A royal person is a person who's responsible for the physical well-being of the people in their charge. That's all it means. That's what a king is supposed to do. Now, I'll do it well. Most people think a king is somebody who gets to tell other people what to do. But it's not what a king is. A king's put in place to take care of people. The people in his country or city or nation or whatever. A priest is a person who's responsible for the spiritual well-being of people in their charge. So a kingly priest, a priest who is a king, a king who is a priest, a royal priesthood. Peter's saying that's what you are. Holy nation. Nation is just the word we get ethnic from or ethnicity. So you're holy. What's what's up? Something that's holy. Well, something that's holy is set aside for a purpose specifically to serve God and only God. In the Hebrew Bible and Greek Bible, that's all it means. So when we say a Christian is holy, that means you are set aside for a special purpose by and for God to assume God. That's it. And not the special amount. Of, well, holy by definition is special, I guess. But just what the word means. So if I say, this is my coffee cup. It's holy. Reason it's holy is because I only drink coffee from it. So as far as coffee's concerned, it's holy to coffee. If I say I'm dedicated to God, I'm holy because I'm dedicated to God. So if something dedicated to something specific, it's holy. 
a people of his own. Quite literally, it just means his people he owns. So, back to royal priesthood. So, we have in our minds probably what a priest is. Now, it's probably distorted, right? When I say the word priest, I don't know what pops in your head, right? But whatever it is, you also know what a priest ought to be. You know, we talk about God being a father, great image. Some of us didn't have good fathers, right? But we still know what a good father is, even if we had a bad one. So a priest is a confidant, a friend, an advisor, teacher, guide, protector, right? all those things. So what are these royal priests? Okay, Peter, we get it. We're those four things. What? What? For what reason? Why? Well, who's going to tell us? So that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's kind of heavy. Um, so we, uh, about a year ago, we have a little breakfast in the um, bay area in our house. And we had a big picture window put there. At the same time, we had a pergola put on our back patio. And it's something we should have done 20 years ago when we moved in. And everybody who comes over is amazed at how much different our house looks, right? It just opens it up. And lets in all this light. It's just wonderful. And we want to tell everybody, right? Because <laughs> it's such a, you know, when you have a breakthrough in your life, you want people to know, right? I Come over, you know, and look at our new window. Why am I looking at your new window? Because I'm excited about it. And you, you will be too, right? So, you know, when Jesus does his work in you and makes you a new person so you can proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his light, I have a whole new life. It's awesome. You want to be part of it, don't you? Right? That's the idea. All right. So. Verse 10. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You were not, you were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. All right, let's unpack this a little. All right, so about 600 years before Peter's writing this, the uh, Babylonians, um, the big bad guys of the time came rushing in to Jerusalem and leveled it. 
the beautiful temple Solomon had built that they thought would last forever was flattened. All the people were carted back to Babylon. Thousands, tens of thousands of people died. It was horrible. It was like a defining moment for the Jewish nation. You know, there's probably more written in the Old Testament during that time period than any other because it was such a defining moment in their lives. And it stayed with them. 200 years or so after that, uh, some of them started trickling back. And they rebuilt the temple, and they had they kind of resettled the area, but nothing was ever the same. They continued to be um, under the thumb of foreign occupiers. The the city was never really what it was before, and they longed for mercy. They longed for God. They prayed for God to have mercy on their people, on their nation. Because anybody looking would say they weren't a people. They had no land of their own. And so that was their great desire was that the Messiah would come and kick the dratted Romans into the med and get their nation back. And they thought, if we're just good enough, it'll happen. So Peter says, listen, your prayers have been answered. You've been shown mercy. You've been restored. All your dreams have come true because in Jesus you have mercy and you have been restored. We're back. We're a people again. But it's not what you thought was going to happen because God's plan all along was that the nation of Israel would be a light to the other nations and they would all worship the God Yahweh because they saw what was going on in Israel. And they blew it. And so now God has hit the reset button and start over with some, a lot of Jews, right? We don't realize sometimes how many Jews were in the early church. All the apostles had been Jews. Thousands of Jews became followers of Jesus, and they went out and started telling the Gentiles about it. And so they started being followers of Jesus. It was crazy. And the Roman world had no categories for this. They had no categories for the church. This was strange. They were a strange and weird people. So, 
bunch of dang uncommon Miss <laughs> positive. How do you change a habit? Break a bad habit. Get a new habit. How you do? Well, you, let's say you want to lose weight. So you're going to eat different. Simple, right? Use more calories than you consume. Piece of cake. Just do it. Well, we all know it ain't that easy. Because here's what you can't do. You can't say, I love ice cream. I love ice cream. I'm not going to eat ice cream. I'm not going to eat ice cream. Because you know what you do? You'll eat ice cream. You just will. What you have to do is go way down inside here and inside your very psyche and your feelings and change your view of yourself. Change your self-image. What you have to do is say, I am, not I want to be, I am a healthy person. A healthy person does not eat a whole pint of ice cream for supper. That, it's not part of my identity to do that. A healthy person has a salad, right? That doesn't mean healthy people don't eat ice cream. They do. They just don't eat as much, right? You change your view of yourself. Because let me tell you something about habits. Your actions will almost always line up with your self-image. And when your actions don't line up with your self-image, you know it. And you feel bad. And don't You feel weird, funny. When your self-image conflicts with your actions. So what you have to do is change your self-image, right? So, I'm bringing this to something a little more personal, right? Um, a pretty girl walks in, if you're a man, or a pretty boy walks in, if you're a girl. If you're married, do you turn and look? If you convince yourself up here that you are a happily married man who has no interest in other women, you won't. That's hard to do. It's simple, but it's hard, right? It takes some effort. But what you're doing is changing your self-image. So if that pretty girl walks by or a pretty boy walks by, and you do turn and look, you automatically, the alarm bells go off. Because you're doing something that doesn't align with your self-image. It takes some effort and some work. So, it's almost like God understands how we're made. 
because he says this, Chris. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a sacrifice, holy, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to the present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. See what he's doing there? He's saying what you got to do is get inside here and transform your mind. You got to become a different person. Get a new identity. Change who you are. Why? Well, so you can test and approve what the will. You want to know what to do in situations? Well, first you got to spend some time transforming your mind, getting a new identity, reminding yourself over and over of who you are. So that's exactly what Peter is not. We go back from verse 9. And he's basically saying, we're going to get to it in a minute. If you're all those things, a chosen race, a world prisoner, then what do you do? Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against your soul and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so that they now, so that they, so that that, though they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God who he, when he appears. <laughs> you remember, right? So let's look at some of these things. The first one is foreigners and exiles. He's kind of talking about that one. Christians are foreigners, exiles, and a place they don't belong. Um, when I was in Germany with the group in college, the Germans told us they could always pick out the Americans because of blue jeans and tennis shoes. We stood out, right? And we were loud and obnoxious, by the way. But we we just stood out right now. There's a group of Americans, right? They just knew. They could tell that, that we were foreigners. As a Christian, that's kind of what he's saying, right? You're foreigners. You should stand out. You should be noticeable. And maybe a little strange. And weird, like a guy who grew up in the farming community and read books all the time. Fleshly desires and do battle against your soul. This is interesting. All right. Let's be honest, right? The devil did not make me do it. I did it all on my own. One of my favorite bands in some of you, will be surprised by this. It's five finger death punch. I'm <laughs> I'm not kidding you. These guys are awesome. 
and um, there's a song called Wrong Side of Heaven. And in it, they, the guy talks about having a conversation with God and the devil. And God is ashamed of his behavior. And the devil says, I'm not to blame. You did this on your own. And when I heard that song, I said, you know what? That guy doesn't realize it, but he gets it. He really does get it. He's captured the human condition. We're on the wrong side of heaven, but the righteous side of hell. Constantly. Right? That's where we live. That's where we walk. That's our normal, if you will, condition. But we've been called to act not normal, but super normal. To act beyond the normal. To act abnormal. He says, maintain good conduct. The NIV says, live such good lives. I like that better. Live such good lives that what? Even though they malign you as wrongdoers, the, both the, Jew, the Jews who hadn't converted and the Greeks and Romans that these Christians lived with knew they were up to no good. They didn't know what it was, but they were convinced of it. They later, one thing the Christian did was the the and those days they didn't usually abort unwanted pregnancies. They waited till the baby was born and they just took it out in the field and left it. The Christians would go get those babies. It became pretty well known that the Christians were Rescuing babies that were left out. So what they decided was happening was that the Christians were eating them. Because who would go out and get a baby and not want it? Nobody would do that. That's what we mean. Malign you as wrongdoers. It was bad. Now, we don't see that today, do we? We're not maligned as Wrongdoers. I'm going to say something here. This is for free and doesn't count against my ministry. Um, and I struggled whether or not to say it. I'm going to anyway because it illustrates the point. I have an enormous amount of compassion for a person born a certain biological sex who feels for whatever reason that that was wrong incorrect and is actually considering a surgery to fix it my heart breaks over that and yet if I said that in a public forum, I would be eviscerated for it. 
I would be called a wrongdoer. They don't need or want your compassion. Right? They ain't upside down. I don't know why it's mind-boggling to me that that's the world we live in. Because that's what Christians are supposed to do. I ain't have compassion for people. I, my heart breaks away. And yet, I'm wrong for being compassionate. That's, that's messed up. So, last phrase, when he appears. Greek there is oversight, right? Think in terms of inspection. When he shows up for the inspection, even though they blind you, they can't deny you've lived a good life. They have to say that, right, when that day comes. All right, good. I want to backtrack just a bit. Fleshly desires that war with your soul. The Greek word for soul, um, English doesn't have a good word for it, unfortunately. comes from the Hebrew word nephesh. And nephesh isn't soul like we think, like our spirit. Nephesh is your life. It's who you are. It's what makes you different from someone else. It makes you you and not you. Right? That's your nephesh. That's your soul. And so what it really is, it's your identity. It's who you are as a person, which includes your value system. The way you make decisions, what you what you want out of life, what you do day to day, all that stuff is your nephesh. So, your flesh will war with your nephesh. If you take your identity from "I'm a child of God," "I'm a believer in Jesus." When somebody maligns me, my nephesh is going to respond to that. My flesh, I'm sorry, my flesh is going to respond to that. My nephesh is saying one thing. My soul is saying one thing. My identity is saying one thing. My, my flesh is saying something else. What's it saying? Well, he said it back in verse 1. So get rid of all evil and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We're almost done. Are you doing okay? Want to stand up, take a break, drive the room. Well, we're landing the plane, I promise. Isn't that what we do when people malign? Malign us. What's malign mean? It means they talk bad about us, say things about us that aren't true, right? Say that we are not who we are. She acts like she really like, you know, is so good, always happy. She's not really like that. 
it's on. He, you know what? He's going to shake your hand and smile, but he's got a knife. He's going to stab me in the mouth. It's like that, right? When people do that to you, our flesh wants to respond and become envious, become hypocritical. Yeah, I may have done what they said, but if you heard what they did, right? The seamless. We'll build it up a little. They, you think, you, and well, they may have said that about me, but they do, and then they do, will be deceitful about it, right? We want to talk about them. Peter said, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't let your flesh undermine your identity in Jesus. And that's what you have to do. You have to have that identity stamped right there in order to fight that. Now we we're done. So let me let me bring it home. Now I you know we kinda had a little fun calling this prepare for a stranger thing. The reason why is in that show They've accidentally opened a portal to the place they call the upside down. And in this place, things are the same, but they're not. They're totally corrupt. And so that's kind of where we are as Christians. Only we're in the upside down. We're the stranger. We're the thing that doesn't conform. When people look at the way we act, what they should see and somebody acts like upside down, right? But the difference is, in Stranger Things, the world is good and the upside down is bad. But we're like this. We're supposed to be good. We're supposed to be undermining, infiltrating the bad. We're the soldiers in the foxhole. We're the guy who's parachuted behind enemy lines. Right? We're supposed to be the one bringing love and kindness and grace and mercy and, and you know, compassion to a broken world. That's our job. And proclaiming the virtues of the one who made us that way. That's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be strangers and aliens in this mixed up broken world. So, if you are a Christian, you inhabit a world where you don't really belong. You should feel out of place. You should feel the way I feel when I walk into an auto mechanic shop. Because I'm not one of those guys. And not me. I have trouble identifying with those guys. That's how you should be every day as you're going around about your business. It's uncomfortable. And I mean, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, I kind of don't blame you for not wanting to be. Who wants to be different? Who wants to be weird? 
Long Red Christmas. Love church and be Sunday. Not only is it always nice to see you. What's the, what's the deal on that? I don't want to be like that, man. I don't want people to think I'm weird. But if you believe in Jesus, guess what you get to be? A royal priest. How about that? A royal priest. What if we are, just for this week, Every single day this week. Just try it for a week. You go to work. School. Team practice. Whatever it is. Club. We're gonna everywhere you go. And before you walk in, you say, God, help me to be a royal priest. Let me be the guy who lives such a good life that even if they talk bad about me, it rolls off. And someday, if I don't, if I'm not able to influence them, they'll be, God help me, ashamed. Are you living that way? I'll be honest, I'm not. I'm trying, trying to live in such a way that people look and say, man, he lives a good life. Amen? Well done. Thank you so much for your attention. Let's pray and get out of here. Father, we thank you so much for the time to spend together. Father, we pray for Chase. As he's beginning his journey, Father, we pray for all the people here that they can take these words and apply them to their lives and live as royal priests in this mixed-up, upside-down world. And, Father, just help us to be a light that shines your glory. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.